Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Take two. It's Kandashow's okay. Beetle Revolution. One, two, three, four. On iHeartRadio. Thank you always for joining me on this Beatles Revolution podcast number 11. Dasher, thanks for breakfast with the Beatles on Q1043. It's a music that just keeps growing and growing. It's a singularity, like dropping a stone into a pond and the ripples go on for perpetual motion because it just keeps regenerating. Great music is great music. And this podcast is going to go in a slightly different direction. There's a remarkable blues show that's coming up September 6th at B.B. King's uh, called the Tribute to the Blues. The Blues Foundation is the benefit, helping blues musicians who are indigent, who need help. And look, they had no background. There was nobody taking care of them. If anything, if you had a manager or an agent or somebody, there was no Brian Epstein like the Beatles had protecting them. You know, all the stories about how Michael Jackson stole, uh, McCartney stole the Beatles catalog, he didn't steal it. He bought it. He bought it from Sir Lou Grade, who bought it when they formed Northern Songs. All along the way, the honest answer is it's not stealing. It was sold and purchased, and the Beatles made money along the way every time it got purchased because they owned stock in the company that owned it. We'll get to that in another show down the road, talk about copyright and owning the rights for performance and mechanicals and publishing. i got a great friend, John, who's a uh, publishing a music business lawyer who can explain the whole thing a lot better than I am. But these guys got absolutely nothing. So there's this blues show that's coming up September 6th. My friend Greg Williamson, the guy who did Love Rocks to benefit God's love we deliver, is doing this. So you know it's going to be a high end. The house band, the music director is uh, Jimmy Vivino. You know, from the Fab Faux, plays the sitar, does all the great George Harrison parts. And Will Lee as well playing bass. So we got two members of the Fab Faux along with the guys from the Saturday Night Live band. Leon Pendarvis, music director and keyboardist. Sean Pelton, the keyboard player. Great horn players as well. And the singers, great blues singers, like Joe Walker Lewis from San Francisco, who's played with everybody, friends with the Stones, with Led Zeppelin, with John and Paul. He was there forever. You know, Sly Stone was his friend. This man weaves in and out of the entire story. Sam Moore from Sam and Dave, William Bell, Dion, Mr. Runaround Sue, John Sebastian from The Love and Spoonful, the great Catherine Russell, Shamika Copeland, Ruthie Foster, Scott Sherrard, Bill Sims, Eric Krasnow, Tosh Neal, King Solomon Hicks. So many people are playing on this show. And again, it's September 6th. Get your tickets at bbkings.com. And the reason I'm talking about this is, you know, Beatles and the Blues. The Stones are a blues band. The Beatles listened to blues records and made it their own. They're the ones who synthesized blues and pop and rockabilly and surf music. You know, Paul loved Eddie Cochran, 20 Flight Rock. That's the song he auditioned for the Quarrymen with. He, if he had five seconds, to, if there were three minutes left on the earth, the last song Paul would play wouldn't be Let It Be. He'd, he'd play 20 Flight Rock. You know, and John Lennon listened to the blues. Think of your blues and all the blues songs that they would play. But they made it their own. 
They listened to all the African-American blues players and said, but here's how we're going to do it. And, you know, Jimmy Vivino such a huge, huge Beatle fan. So I asked him to come up. You can see the whole interview on our Facebook page, on Q1043's Facebook page, or on my blog at Q1043.com. But we started talking about the Beatles and the Stones and influences. And one of the biggest themes that runs through this interview is what is a ripoff and what is a tribute? And I've been lucky enough in my life to meet so many of these guys. And Randy Bachman said it the best. He said, if you take an idea or a song that you heard and you twist it and make it your own, then you've added to the discussion because you don't even know, you're not even sure who it is who originally wrote it just because you hear an old blues guy write it. He might have heard somebody else do it. It goes back hundreds of years, so you just don't really know who it is who originally wrote it. It goes back. All you have to do is add to it and change it. A ripoff is when you just take what I played and actually literally take that music and put it in your song without asking. Right, that's a ripoff. But from Stairway to Heaven to Taurus, from Spirit to on and on, as you improve and take a riff. Randy Bachman gave a perfect example. Back when he was early days uh, BTO or or the, the Guess Who, he was touring with the Doobie Brothers, and they had the song Let It Ride. Dun, da, da, dun, da, 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 dun, da, da, dun. And he said, we were playing that every night. And on the next Doobie Brothers album, they came up with Long Train Running. Dun, da, 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 dun, da, dun. He said it was the same exact chords, but they used a slightly different pattern and took a different energy to it. I wasn't offended. I didn't want to get a lawyer. I said, wow, good job. They took what I wrote and made it their own. I even called them and said, great job, guys. And they said, hey, thanks. You don't mind, do you? He said, no, of course not. He said, that's what we do. There's only 12 notes, and there's only so many chords in rock and roll and blues progressions. So that's what I got into with Jimmy Vivino and Joe Lewis Walker a bit about how do they perceive things? What's stealing? What's a tribute? What about the Beatles and the Stones? What about some of the things that come up all the time and now in courts? And we got into it a little bit, which I think you'll really enjoy. At least I love listening to it. And you know what? All the books you read about the history of music and race relations in America. and the, How do I put it? Reading about it like a historical document seems very dry and didactic. Hearing musicians who lived it and played through it and met all the players from Howlin' Wolf to Paul and John and Mick and Keith and Ronnie, like Joe Lewis Walker, him telling his life story through music like that, that's an oral history that just has me wrapped, and he tells the whole thing. That'll be coming up in just a few minutes. But let's talk about the Beatles and their social awareness at the time. As Paul said, when they got to America, you saw it in the movie Eight Days a Week, said, heard about segregation, we just thought it was stupid. We couldn't understand it. What, what difference does it make? Right, because that's where they came from. There were good people, bad people, but, you know, they came into this country and it was just a whole different world from what they ever experienced back in Liverpool. And they wanted to be successful. And, you know, at the mop tops and look, Brian Epstein is a good manager, I'm sure, was telling them, don't rock the boat, don't rock the boat. Oh, and don't rock the boat. This is a new country with the first big band from England, don't rock the boat. But they had their own sensibilities. And when you're on the top of the world, you know, you've got a little bit of a say. you got a hammer. And, you know, the famous, or I should say infamous meeting, supposedly after Carnegie Hall with Bob Dylan and the Beatles, where he said, now you got the world's attention. 
Now you got to say something. And I really believe in my heart it would have happened no matter what. You know how smart these guys were. We talk about their musical ability and their writing ability, their artistic ability. They were really sharp guys. I mean, Paul and John, there was no way you're going to hold them back. But when Bob Dylan says, you got the world, excuse the expression, by the balls, now do something with it, look how fast the music changed. You know, in Paul writing Blackbird, John could be much more direct about things. Paul would insinuate and explain because Paul was a tunesmith. John was the rebel, you know, and that's how they did it. And yet, you know, Paul McCartney could go right at it in Eleanor Rigby and say what he has to say or give Ireland back to the Irish. They had to be what they had to be. For people who say, uh, you know, Paul was, you know, was too facile about things. Well, you know, saying that John should have written sweeter songs or Paul should have written angrier songs is ridiculous because Paul wrote intimate moments. You think about she's leaving home. What about that? How intimate is that in Eleanor Rigby? And, you know, what? and John writing something as sweet and beautiful in my life. They crossed over. They crossed. They went into whatever land of songwriting they felt comfortable with. But I think Bob Dylan, it's not that he gave them, he, gave, he didn't give them the idea he didn't tell, give them marching orders. They didn't follow his orders. But when somebody you respect nudges you in a certain direction and makes you see it from his point of view, I certainly think that helped a great deal of being able to say, yep, I'm going for it. Go ahead. And you're able to do it. Um, and that brings me to the subject today as we talk about not just race relations in music, uh, documentaries I would recommend, the Muscle Shoals documentary. Uh, the Motown, the Funk Brothers, when they talk about how, you know, we didn't think of ourselves as a black band, a white band, a Motown band. We were just a band. You know, that's what music is. Music is colorblind. It doesn't matter who, who is in the audience or who's watching the show. That's what it's all about. I've always marveled. You know, I love New Orleans music. I go to a Neville Brothers show, and the audience is mostly white. Always has been, and like, you know, why, you know, and I, I've asked, Aaron Neville at times, why do you think like there aren't more African-American people at your shows? He said, well, you know, we, we don't play rap music. We're not big funk. We're classic funk. You know, maybe we're just not loud enough. We're not cool enough. We're, we're too old. We're, I don't know, but we're just going to sing what we sing and we're glad people like it. And I, you know what? I think that's the answer. So you have to, you're going to like what comes up at BB King September 6th the Blues Festival. It's all a benefit for the Blues Foundation to help musicians who need a helping hand, and you're going to get one hell of a show. The music director, Jimmy Vivino, you know him from the Conan Show and from the Fab Faux, along with his Fab Faux cohort, Will Lee, playing bass. And from Saturday Night Live, you've got the incredible Sean Pelton playing drums and Penn, Leon Pendarvis on keyboards. Sam Moore, hold on, I'm coming, Sam Moore. Dion, John Sebastian, what a day for a daydream. Catherine Russell, one of the most beautiful voices, along with Shamika Copeland, and on and on and on. Here's how it went in the studio. You know the reason why. 
Ken Dashow in the studio at Q1043. I got two remarkable musicians with me. Jimmy Vivino, you know him from the Fab Faux, from Conan, and Mr. Joe Lewis Walker, one of the great blues men in the world. Thank you for joining me here at Q. Yeah, thank you for having me. And there's this amazing blues show that's happening at B.B. King's on September 6th. It's a benefit for the Blues Foundation to help all the indigent musicians who are just barely getting by trouble. They need assisted living, and there's no money. There's no big manager. There's no tour. They were, you know, it was ripped off from day one and keep going, and that's what this is all about. This amazing show of Jimmy Vivino's the music director, and your buddy, Will Lee, from Will the Will Lee's Fat over Pope. there on bass, and all of New York, my old right. New York cohorts Sean from Pelton TV, and yeah. Leon Pendarvis from Saturday Night Live. And Earl Gardner, a trumpet player, yeah. and... My and brother Jerry on sax and Crispin Seal from Uptown Horns, right? And right. Then, so we got and performing Joe Lewis Walker, Sam Moore from Sam and Dave, uh, William Bell Dion is going to be there. John Sebastian from the Love and Spoonful, Catherine Russell, Shamika Copeland. The show is just packed with people. But we're talking about how much the blues mean about music. Classic rock is the blues. The English guys took American blues, made it louder, and sort of sent it back to us, and we found it. And we always think about the Stones being blues guys. But the truth is, as Jimmy and I talked about, so many Beatles riffs come out of the blues. And usually it was John. Was John was responsible for finding these records, man, you know. And uh, When we yeah. sit backstage and you play some of this stuff for me, like Revolution. Well, there's a Pee Wee Creighton song called from 1954. Pee Wee Creighton, 1954. Called, uh, a West Coast cat right yeah. uh, you know Pee Wee Creighton just yeah. after hours and yes sir. All like one of one of the greatest guitar unknown one of the first Strat guys yeah. too had well, had the first Fender Strat yeah. 1954 54 play yeah. the riff for me uh And Pee Wee Creighton, and it's just, I mean, but it sounds, but sonically. But so, but now that everybody exactly. sees where the slow version of Revolution came from. Yeah, well, that's like Jimmy. Speed it up. But the, that's right from Revolution. So they, they, you know, John was aware of that record. You know, it was one of his favorite records. The one that blows me away is I Feel Fine, is the riff from I Feel Fine. Give me a, where did that come yeah, from? Yeah, that's from, that's from Bobby Parker, who yeah, you probably knew, DC, right? Yeah, actually. Uh, Too. Yeah. One way out. Yeah, but they got that straight from Sonny Boy Williams. And that's from Sonny Boy, and it's, see, it's, it gets thrown around. And Richie and, and Blackmore all... took it. I'm a Deep Purple head. That's right. There's a song called Rat Bat Blue that yeah. took that, that same riff. Well, the thinking in the blues community, of course, was uh, a community in the blues, just the world, was that stuff was out there. It's like fruit on the tree. It's uh, there's uh, you know nobody owns that one apple you know and and uh, later we get into lawyers and stuff, you know. <laughs> yeah. And later cats are going backwards, not yeah. trying to get their stuff back. And, and later so, you're I was entitled to that, but then nobody knew that. Later you're getting into plagiarism too, because nobody could say 
Every blues song everybody knows. Come on, baby, don't you want Sweet Home? Sweet home. Yeah. Nobody can say that Robert Johnson really wrote Sweet Home Chicago. Okay, you, you just can't say that. But when you get Robert Johnson did it, Magic Sam did it, Buddy Guy did it, you yes. name it, everybody's done that song. And so there's certain songs you really can't go back to copyright. And that's what made Willie Dixon yeah. a genius, that Willie Dixon would go back and he sort of copyrighted a lot of things they were already out there, but really, Willie put them in a yeah. in a nice package and found the right person to and sing. And the Beatles them. got involved in so much because you go after the big guy, you right. go after the guy making the most money. And when Chuck Berry, for you can't catch me, you know, here come on flat top, grooving up slowly. That's it. Yeah. Dead, you know. Right. But that was and the George full Harrison line. to get it for uh, my sweet Lord, right? You know, because those changes, you know. So fine. Even the background vocals were in the same spot. It's, yeah. But and, I think that was a subconscious. But you have Phil you know, Spector uh, running it. I mean, how how could well, you no, not? Phil didn't make it. many friends either. So you know. <laughs> well, that's, <laughs> like, that is the kindest. That is the kindest way of say of summing up Phil Spector's yeah, life. Yeah. Well, you know, but he was a genius at, at, yeah. at what he did, and he did a great job, and they made that record up to the point. And it was the sound of that record. Sometimes the familiarity is what sells. Yeah, it's the same bass line, by the way, from uh, uh, I'm Talking About You by Chuck Berry. And Paul admits it, that they just took it. But see, it takes a certain genius to take a little bit of something. Yeah. That's what pop music is about. It's taking a little bit of something. And I, I won't mind there's about three or four artists that are ex Lenny Kravitz. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. It's I love. You know, mama said, mama said, uh, whatever mama said, it's a little bit of Jimi Hendrix, a yeah. little bit of Beatles. And I, I love that. That's yeah. great. But then when you start peeling away the onion, you, you listen for Lenny, and he's there somewhere. I think the genius of it is to come out of that. And, and to come up with your own style. Right. So, Joe, I said the exact question that, that matters the world to me and for all of us, where do you draw the line then from inspiration and I made it my own to get me a lawyer? That guy just took my song. Well, I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know if, if you have to go there. I mean, I, I think you, you, it would be better if you, you, know, you ask somebody like Paul Simon. Because uh, he's had success, way bigger success than me, and he, you know. But, I'm, but you, just your opinion is because there's no right or wrong to this question. That you know, to me, if you take a riff like you did and you make it your own, you make it a song that has a different flavor than the original, then you've built on it. You've built on a basic. Well, riff. okay, try this on for size. Uh -huh. Okay, now look at this. Yeah. You say, well, well, where did John Lennon get that riff? That's where he got right. it from, yeah. They were on tour with Roy Orbison. Right. Okay? Right. <laughs> I would bet you a, a, a nickel to a dime that they heard, that John heard it, and he said, and the thing that the Beatles were experts at was the same thing Orbison was, going from a major to a minor in the same song. Give Whereas some, most give people... Give one more example. Explain okay, that a lot of people like, don't know music. Pretty woman, yeah. yeah. You know, instead of going to a major, they would go to a minor. Da, da, da. Whereas most pop yeah. music was strictly major. 
You know what I'm saying? Gotcha. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. So instead of going, a Beatles bridge is like, there's a place where I can go. Oh, I feel blue. The changing. You know, changing it up so that it wasn't so predictable. Right. You know, and they were there was that extra chord. And that was that yeah. oh wow factor well, for about, all of us. What about this? Uh, I need to laugh. The sun is shining down. Right? And keep going. What Come a on. day for a daydream. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Custom <laughs> You go right back to jug band music. Straight jug band music. And, uh, <laughs> you know, and John. Just, uh, what is that one? She's not. It's one of those girl. girls. Uh, you know uh, the younger girl? Yeah. Hey, you want to, the word tricky, just you put tricky next to the Beatles. Because <laughs> there's it, nothing that is the route. Everything has a little something extra. It's derivative, but it's not sort of... Well, it's an influence. Yeah. You know, and right. you can't say, uh, you know, that, oh, you can't say one actor... Is doing another, you know, oh, the Brando and, you know, right. Brando, say he's doing Brando, so we should sue him. Right. <laughs> no. <Yeah. laughs> you know? But it's the same kind of thing where yeah. it, it, it's, right. a, it's a tribute, yeah. an influence yeah. to a style. Okay. And uh, there's only so many chords you can okay. put together. So you know where this is headed, and it's the ultimate question. But Stairway to Heaven. Well, that was resolved. That, uh, you know, but uh, when you just take the change... That's in, in a million Latin tunes? That's, that's been around since God left Chicago. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's yeah. everywhere in Bossa Nova. It's 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 written in uh, in in uh, uh, madrigals. Yeah, there's an old music. English madrigal yeah, by madrigals John Dowling. Yeah, Celtic music. It doesn't hold water. It came out the right way, you think? It was not. Look, what about this? There is a house. In yeah. New Orleans. Yeah. Now that Alan Price took credit for that, and Lead Belly recorded that. And you can just keep going. You know, back that down. goes back. But nobody, nobody claimed it. It was uh, out there. Yeah, yeah. Why the shade of pale? It's just a straight. It's it's Bach. It's Bach. Yeah. It's a straight. And, and and you take the other song, um, which the Toys did. Uh, which is a great song. Yeah, how uh, gentle is the rain. Yeah. I'm in, in the girls. She is wicked singer. Yeah, she yeah. goes through some Leslie Gore yeah, four yeah, or five yeah, key yeah, changes. Yeah, right. yeah. But that's pure Bach. Yeah. Yeah. yeah but well, look you what know, they did with it. Though. Right. You know, yeah, they made it their own. Yeah. And and some of it is in the public domain, which means you can make an arrangement or do it and claim publishing for it. Yeah. Uh, but authorship on on folk music, real old folk music and blues. I mean. It's a it's a really gray area. Robert Johnson may be the first one to record "Sweet Home Chicago," yeah. but it was around oh, for nothing, way, way my, longer. And the same thing goes for a lot of the stuff that that was being sung, you know, on Stovall's plantation that yeah. Muddy was doing. And yeah. it's gospel. A lot of it's gospel based with yeah. the, with the words changed, you know. And, yeah, definitely. And yeah. and Beatles, uh, you know, weren't really. So they weren't blues nuts like the Stones were. Like we right. talked about this at, together birds. before, or the Yardbirds, or the Stone, or, or, or you or know, Eric or, and and uh, Fleetwood Mac was making records you couldn't tell weren't Elmore James. 
We didn't have that scene here in 1963. Four. Right. You right. Know. We're listening to, to Pat Boone and it's... Uh, you know, it's guys in pompadours. You yeah, know, but we also had a youth youth that were into real bebop and jazz in the village, you know, that were listening right. to some heavy But you know what's stuff. weird is that, that we, we sort of did have it in, in, in 63 and 64, but to be quite honest, I heard it all day in my house, all day. All of my daddy's from Cleveland, Mississippi. So yeah. that's how I started picking up guitar when I was six. But it didn't reach the white kids until until the English guys the brought Rolling it over. The Rolling Stones brought it over. Right. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and so, and then then, then Dwayne Almond then put the icing on the cake because Dwayne was the conduit for black soul music and blues music. But you guys, yeah. and if I may, because we're totally different cultures, you and I, but your house, when you heard, you didn't want to go out and play that. <laughs> uh, no, you know? I was a freak of nature. I did. Yeah. That's what made me... Abnormal yeah, for most of my most friends. Kids, most most of the African American kids didn't want to go out and play blues. But you see, know, they went to James Brown at that but time. But see, that's and, sort of the misnomer because I, I I had a band with my cousins, four of us, five of us. One of us left. He turned professional to play with Roger Collins. Had a big hit record called "She's Looking Good." Anyway, I, I come in the same neighborhood as Sly, Freddie Stone. All well, of you're us. different. You're and, different. And you know though. what? No, because... Sly was the biggest Jimmy Reed fan in the world. Billy Preston would come down, the biggest Ray Charles fan yeah. in the world. So we had to play blues. But but it wasn't no whole bunch of white people there looking at us playing it. To yeah. be quite honest. And your so, uncle too. Yeah. And so when the Fillmore when the Fillmore opened up. And then the white kids start coming down. Me and my cousins, we just played what we've been playing all along. Rick Eskin grew up with me. Yeah. We just was playing what we played all along. But they just found it. Yeah. yeah. And well, so when we some, didn't on the, on the East Coast. Yeah. So when someone that, like Bloomfield came to town with Paul Butterfield, we 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 could talk for hours and hours about stuff. And he said, "Man, where do you, you know all that stuff from your mom and your dad?" He says, "I had to go to the South Side and then learn it. Yeah. You know where it was just second nature to me. Gospel music was in my house all the time." So when people come and they say, well, there's not a lot of young African-Americans, there were. But when disco and stuff hit something where they can make some money off of it, right? I just, I'll leave it right here. Yeah. My, my dad was from Cleveland, Mississippi, and believe me, I never heard my dad say, he was so glad to be away from Mississippi, he just act like it was another planet. He just never <laughs> talked about it. But when I played a Yardbirds record for him, my dad, because he came from the same area, Wolf and those guys, he knew some of them. And so... He just asked, he turned to me and he says, Joe, what the hell are white guys playing blues for? There's no money in this stuff. <laughs> <laughs> and that's the way he looked at it. Right. So he was really proud when the Rolling Stones brought Howlin' Wolf on TV. My dad was like, those boys are all right. Yeah. Those boys are all right. Thank they you. went and brought the only blues guy on national TV. It, it was unheard of. Thank you, Joe. There's a million books written about it, but when you tell it from your heart, when you tell the story from here... That means the world to me. It's That's a difference. You talk about being you know in uh, in San Francisco up there with Sly and them, and then you must, of course, have a connection with Billy Preston, who was being produced Billy, like at 15 all the time. or 16 uh, at that time by, by Sly. But then you must know that he, he is the fifth Beatle. I Without mean, a doubt. And, a and the sixth Rolling Stone. And the sixth Rolling Stone, yeah. <laughs> I mean, It's <laughs> funny, though, because that area, the 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 depth of music in that, in that area you grew up in is... The hotbed. And see what people don't yeah. realize, they just think of psychedelic music, but I used to play in Oakland. I played in Richmond. In Richmond, there's a huge Louisiana thing. Clinton Chenier would come there and play for two months at a time just in the Richmond area. So we would see my bass player, Henry Oden, play with Freddie King. Yeah. I didn't have a guitar. Freddie let me play his guitar. Jimmy Reed, Henry was playing with Jimmy Reed. Jimmy Reed died out there. 
uh, uh, Pee Wee Crate and T Bone yeah, would come sure. out there and back in it. So it was a it was and a, then Johnny Otis was up there. Too, and then Otis, the but you had all those guys mixing with with Garcia and, and mixing with Chipolina guys that would go hunt that stuff out. Right. You know. Yeah. And, and so and then when Michael came, Bloomfield came there. The door was kicked off. Then, and Michael's the know? one who said. I'm not going to play the film more unless B.B. King plays the film. You better film. believe it. You know, unless yeah, Albert, unless Michael is the one, and it's it's well known by guys like us, yeah. but not a lot of people that Mike Bloomfield, who's our heart. Thank you, Mike Bloomfield, the electric flag. See a picture of him every day. Yeah, <laughs> you know, every day. He's our guru, really. He really is. Yeah. And no, and that was the, that's that's something missing today. Yeah, And that's like seeing the Beatles exactly. on Ed Sullivan and seeing Sophie Tucker and somebody splint, spinning some plates right. and some guy with some trained dogs and, and Topo Gigio. We, we got an education, <laughs> even if we against and, our will. And you know, yeah. there's one humongous thing being left out. When people talk about the Beatles, the Stones, the, the Dead, where I come from, Bobby Weir, and guys that I've known since I was teenagers. The reason that they people start coming out, to get away from the old mores, to get away from racism to get away from sexism, to get away from all that stuff. So it was just not enough for you to be a musician. The Dead played for more free shows. I played for more free shows. John Cipollino, we all played for free shows. But if you see a movie eight days a week, go see it, because there's an important part of it where they go to the Beatles and they said, this is segregated uh, a place here, and they refuse to play it. That's another thing that those guys did that we all love that the Beatles, the Stones, all of them, they, it's real easy to say, oh, yeah, I'm a blues guy, but, um, uh, uh, you know, the way things are down here is the way that things always have been. The Beatles didn't go for that. The Stones didn't go for that. And it makes me today be proud of friend of, of Mix and Keith because they've been that way since day one. Some people have evolved, okay, but <laughs> that's, that, that's still, that dog whistle is still out there. And, and so to know that there were mute people who weren't, I, I won't say the word, uh, whether some people say uh, appropriate other people's music. I, I don't say that because music just goes from one person's soul to another person's soul. But it's another thing when the person's soul that it came from has been spit on and the music that you're making, you're making a million dollars off of it and you give no recognition to those poor guys. And that's why it's commendable what Jimmy's doing and it's commendable when the Stones always had Ike and Tina Turner, B.B. King, Buddy Guy and Junior Wells, on and on. Yeah. They made sure there was some of their heroes on those shows, yeah. even though they helped put their heroes out of business. And they all say, Joe, when you know? they came here, right? Every one of them says when they came here, what did they do? Who were they looking for? Yeah. When they came, they went what? to Detroit, right? The, Beatles the Stones are ran for, to Chess Records to Chicago. No. Howlin Wolf, Muddy the Waters. best one, the yeah. best one is the John Lennon interview. You got to see it. It's one of the first ones. And they say, "Well, what do you want to see, John?" And he said, "Muddy Waters." <laughs> and, and and all the the, the people were around. Where's Who's, the Muddy Water at, John? And John just says, "You stupid Yanks! You don't even <laughs> they, they don't, you don't even know, know your own know. heroes." No, no, I you know, cannot. I yeah. cannot. And you know what? That but that was honest. That wasn't that wasn't a device. That wasn't planned. And it was no vitriol. It was no vitriol in the but yeah. like most English guys, I know they say, man, the one thing we had to get used to coming to America was just how uptight it was, you know, especially with the racial thing. You know, it's taught here, you know, and that's too bad because when you think about it, if you're born down south in the 30s, 40s, when my dad was coming up, two to one, a black woman raised you. Two right. to one. That's who was with you every day. That's who cleaned your diapers. That's who helped you. That's because your mom probably didn't have time. 
Everybody's seen the movie The Help, right? Yep. Yeah. So that is a part of the music. You can't take that out. And I think the English guys saw that, especially because especially the Stones, because they had long hair and people were spitting on them, calling them the same things they were calling my daddy in Mississippi. And so they got it. Uh, my thing is, when, once you share the pain, everybody can... It's oh, well, everybody has blues. Yeah, everybody has the blues. Everybody once the pain the gets shared, yeah. like yeah. it's getting shared now, mm-hmm. you know, then people, it's a great leveling field. Because it's amazing that we can die on the killing fields. We can win a Super Bowl together. It can be the gay guy can be on the Super Bowl team. The Muslim can be there. On the killing fields, the Mexicans can be there. But when it comes to politics, it's a dog whistle. But it doesn't work in music. Music's the one thing it doesn't work in. And so for me, being who I am, I always was an English music fan because those guys always gave credit. They never got hung up on who's the king of rock and roll. No. They never got hung up no, on No, and they brought us, and they also brought us change in... And it's what inspired them. The, the change they brought in politics, fashion, religion, uh, world music, bringing in, uh, you know, Indian, Indian music, music, Beatles. Yeah. Talking Beatles mostly, but Stones also, everybody. I, I think know. that's why we're all such music fans, and the Q1043 audience is here, because we escaped to this as kids. In our generation, you and I growing up, and for young people who have found Q1043, this is what this music's all about. It's fun, it's good times, it's silly, it's powerful, it's political. But we don't stop and ask, like, where were you born? What's your race, religion? We just want you to play. And yeah. that's what it's really all about, for to me, for rock and roll my whole life. Well, plus, you know, some of the heroes, you, you, you're very proud. I'm very proud to have met Pete Seeger. Uh, I, I'm proud John Lennon came to one of my shows. I didn't even know he was there. But because those guys stood up. You know, and you take John Lennon, all you got to do is see the movie of the USA versus John Lennon yeah, and the great. dirty tricks yeah. that, 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 that Nixon and, 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 and J. Edgar Hoover tapping his phone and all that stuff. And for John Lennon to be as rich as he was, to say, I'm going to stand up. And you know what? I've seen the greatest thing on TV the other day. They, they, because of what's going on now in our country, it's to some people, it's almost a carbon copy of what happened with Richard Nixon and Watergate. Well, you know, a lot of people know that Richard Nixon was 100% getting John, getting rid of John Lennon. That was on the top of his enemies list. And then in there with Hoover, man. Yeah, and and here's (laughs) a good part. Here's a good part. It shows the Watergate hearing, right? Sam Irvin, all the big wigs in there. You know, by this time, John Lennon had been letting the country, didn't have nothing else to prove. You know who was sitting in the third row? At the Watergate hearings? Was John there? You damn right. (laughs) And you know what it was? It's like, I knew you was a snake all the time. So it's a little get back right now. It's almost like a Forrest Gump moment. Yeah, it's a Forrest Gump moment, baby. (laughs) Now, now, Mr. Haldeman, I'm just an old country lawyer. Maybe you could explain this to me. You got to love it. (laughs) Guys, thank you so much. When I say an honor to have spent this time with you to come back to q And you know, I just want to say one last thing. Both of us, Joe and I both, have had the pleasure of people walking out of our record collections into our lives. And 99.9% of them live up to the reason we love them so much. Beautiful. Amen. Uh, The Blues Fest at B.B. King, September 6th. Get your tickets to the B.B. King's box office. September 6th will just be over Labor Day. You do not, do not miss this show. Jimmy Vivino, Will Lee in the house band, Sean Pelton and Pendarvis from SNL. We've got Joe Lewis Walker and Dion and John Sebastian and Sam Moore and on and on. I wouldn't miss it for the world. I'll see you there. Thank you. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. 
a laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right, ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, full work limited by law, 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.